it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. If you're watching Fox Nation, you see Will Kane is in studio. It's a home-and-home home game, right? Because I was on your podcast, Will, right? Yes, that's right. Short time ago, so I think this is the only this is the right thing to do to say yes is to that why you did this? our request. Oh, oh, it's right for me to say yes. You did the right thing. Oh, thank you. Uh, Michael Rubin, the bottom of the hour. Michael Rubin wrote a great column just about how Europe is waking up from their love affair with Iran and the belief that they could convert Iran to a normal nation. They can't, and they never should have tried, nor should the previous administration tried. Uh, we're in a mess right now, and they are fueling the fire over in Ukraine. So before we get to Will and take your phone calls, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Kim Jong-un halted his nuclear tests ahead of those infamous meetings with Donald Trump in 2018. But there is basically no diplomacy at this point between the Biden administration and North Korea, only brinksmanship. And so we are seeing just escalation after escalation from North Korea. World on fire from Iran sending missiles to Russia to North Korea sending rockets over Japan to the Ukraine war for their sovereignty. Joe Biden's foreign policy has our allies in peril and our enemies on the march. We outline the challenge is spawned by our exit from Afghanistan. Number two. If you take the House going Republicans, it matters whether Kevin McCarthy has a really tight majority or a big one. If he's got a very small, thin majority, from a functioning of government standpoint, that's the worst possible outcome. It means he's basically going to be dragged around by the far right of his conference. A matchup, final polls and messages that are making a difference in the battle for control of the House and Senate and state races. Plus, we'll break down what this all means for the state of Washington after Election Day. Number one. We are seeing huge, huge turnouts uh, all around the country. Listen, in the final days, uh, we have now entered uh, the hysteria and desperation stage of the campaign. Closing arguments as leaders and political rock stars fan out across the country while the president primarily sits it out. Look at the trends. Let's take a look at the hot takes and get the fact fact checked. All the barbs as both sides try to score some important points. Will Kane, are you excited about this? Yeah. I mean, Tuesday's coming, and I'm just excited. I, I sense that the challenges will be few. This is rigged. It's fake. The ballots were wrong. My precinct was a mess. Uh, they're flipping vote. I sense that that will not be a theme this midterm. You don't think so? No. You think? Okay. Let's let's play a hypothetical. This hypothetical is that Republicans uh, win big on Tuesday. Okay, huge red wave. When Hersh- Herschel Walker wins in Georgia, Kerry Lake and Blake Masters win in Arizona. You do not think Democrats will challenge the the legitimacy of these elections? Here's why I don't think so. Because they made they're looking to they made their mark on how dare you challenge the integrity of elections? It blows up democracy. They're literally running on that in the backstretch. Okay, hold on. Of the democracy under threat. I love this conversation. Okay, but Hillary denied the election results from 2016, and that didn't stop them from making as though Donald Trump questioning the elections in 2020 was the absolute corruption and downfall of America. 
right? Corruption of democracy, downfall of America. Mm -hmm. Fresh off of five years of denying that election. So why would hypocrisy now stop them from questioning these elections? I think because of January 6th. January 6th wasn't like Clyburn challenging Ohio in 2008 uh, for W, 2004 for uh, W. Bush. I don't think it was different than Hillary <laughs> you keep Clinton. Going, by the way, you have a long list. You have right. To- <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of challenges. Uh, remember, I mean, there's video, and you guys might have ran on the weekend. For some reason, we couldn't find it of Joe Biden as vice president gaveling down his own party, who kept on kept on protesting Donald Trump's win. They just wanted to do the formal thing and on their January 6th, whatever date that was, and just say, okay, here's the official Electoral College note, Donald Trump's president. And they, they kept protesting. Well, Brian, right now, Joe Biden is saying something to the effect of, you have to co- go vote, talking to his Democratic base in these speeches, saying, because if you don't, Republicans could win and Republicans will be a threat to our democracy by questioning the legitimacy of our elections, right? Right. So Republicans, in fact, you want to hear that? I let's, do. Let's listen. I Cut do. one. You know, American democracy is under attack because the defeated former president of the United States refuses to accept the results of the 2020 election. We, the people, must decide whether the rule of law will prevail or whether we will allow the dark forces to thirst, that thirst for power put ahead of the principles that we've long guided us. He goes on to say, by the way, if Republicans win, it's a threat to democracy. In the same sentence or back-to-back sentences at the very least, he is doing what he's uh, accusing his opponent of doing. He's saying if Republicans win, it is the undermining of democracy. They're already doing it. They're not waiting to lose the election to question the results of the election. I think that if it's November 11th and they lost the House and Senate and Carrie Lake and governor's mansions and uh, we see some of the upsets at Tudor Dixon, for example, in Michigan, I think if they turn around and say, we got problems with the ballots, uh, we have problems with the precincts, I think that they know that they can't pull it off because they made their bones with Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and company on, on January 6th. I mean, they got to look Well, to- they do something different, though. They say it's voter suppression. They say it's laws in Georgia. That's what they're going to say, and therefore that— But the turnout's through the roof already in Georgia. I mean, you're suggesting that those facts are going to change their narrative. But this is—I mean, Will, you're not without merit, but that's very cynical. This is very—you're very cynical. I think that there's— I think it's realist. I mean, I'm just looking at every election the Democrats have lost. Look, okay. Because remember, 63 seats for Barack Obama. He never said anything was rigged against him. He said, I got shellacked. Let's see. Al Gore in 2000, you pointed out— um, uh, in 2004, that, w- that election was also questioned. John Kerry. John Kerry John was James also Clyburn. questioned. Obama wins in 08 and no 12. No problem. No problem. In 16, clearly, Hillary has still said that that election was corrupt and did not work. Stacey Abrams in Georgia. 2018. I mean, maybe I'm being cynical, but I kind of feel like I'm being a realist. Yeah, I just think the rubber hit the road on January 6th and people protesting and Donald Trump going over the top uh, saying there's something wrong here. And you put that together, which building with the pandemic rules, with uh, drop boxes everywhere, bail, uh, five mail-in ballots turning out at your door mm-hmm. that you didn't request, unrequested mail-in ballots. And now I think that we as voters have to go out of our way to say the precinct I voted in, do they have signature match? Do I have a problem with uh, license uh, showing ID? And if you don't have a problem before, don't tell me you have a problem after because I think we all went to school on this. And I, that's why I think it's good news that people are so engaged because they're going to vote. 
You're not necessarily sure of that. <laughs> I can see where he's going with that. So here's a conversation we had, I think, during the last commercial break at Fox and Friends this morning. Uh, you, you, I think you were saying something like, it's so it's, great. Here, it's here's so good great. news. Yeah. It's so great that here's good news. Everyone's going to turn out to vote. There's so much enthusiasm. And Katie and I both looked at you and said, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't know if that's a good thing. And okay, anybody here? Katie like, Pavlich. Yeah. What do you? Here's what I think. Two, twofold. I don't think that just because people are voting means that's a good thing for democracy. I think that people should be educated voters. They should know what they're talking about. And I'm not sure that massive voter turnout correlates to massive educated voters. Secondarily, I don't think a nation that is super invested in politics at all time is actually great. I think people go about their lives, care about the things that are in yeah, their lives. You care too much, you say. Yeah, I think your home, your family, your church, your community, honestly, your sports, your career, your business. These are all – the more people think that politics is the most important thing in their life, the more power we grant to politics. Right. Who the president is affects what kind of mood I'm in. I'm thinking to myself, you know how much small talk ends up politics today where it wasn't the case? See, you've been in and out of sports – People used to make small talk with me talking sports all the time. Now the small talk is big. As soon as we sit, yeah. as soon as I sit down at any table with friends, uh, acquaintances, friends, whatever, at any level, very rarely for it not to come to politics. Very rarely for Trump not to come up. Very, very rarely, rarely to not talk about who Neil Cavuto interviewed or who Tucker Carlson, what Tucker Carlson's monologue's about. It's very rare. And 10 years ago, 15 years ago, a lot of people didn't know what I did. <laughs> I mean, they just did. I mean, like, oh, how was work? Well, now they tell me how work was. They tell me stuff that happened that I was on the show and I don't remember. And I and find that that's healthy? an engagement. Is it healthy? Uh, I think you have a point that maybe it's a little unhealthy where it affects uh, it affects your life when Donald Trump tweets something that's aggravating. It really shouldn't affect your vacation plans, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what you're doing with your free time or if you decide to play pickleball. Personally, you know, I saw this recently, Brian, um, and I'm not going to go far into this because I can see you'll probably fall asleep. But um, I'm into this like I, stoicism, you know, like I follow it on. This is going to be the most contradictory statement that anyone has ever made. I follow it on Instagram, the sto- stoic account. You know, it's like don't let things overly affect you. Be be calm and stoic. And and it said it showed the circle of interest in your life, the where you should devote your priorities and your attention. And you should focus on your faith, yourself first, making yourself and your life better, then your family around you, then your community, then your countrymen, and then humanity, mankind. Those are concentric circles. You see, right. can you Got it. imagine With it? you. So, you know, I, I don't want to make it partisan Republican, Democrat, but the way to view the world for most people that would consider themselves conservative is, is you focus on those smaller concentric circles first. Right. Right. And often Democrats think in those outside concentric circles first. In other words, I want, I care about, okay, you and I've had this debate on the Will Cain podcast, Ukraine, mankind, humankind. And, and you vote based upon, you know, abstractions and virtues that are far away while neglecting often things that are right here at home, including yep. your own behavior. Right. And I think it's a reverse moral proposition. You should be focused here first and perfect from the outside, from the inside out. Uh, that's a, that's a good philosophy to have. Uh, we're in a little bit different of a situation because our day, our day-to-day life and our career yes. has, needs us to be engaged. We talk about those outside concentric circles, right. but honestly, I actually try to focus to some extent on those. Can I do this? You were you, you said you were on my podcast this week. People are loving it, by the way, and they got to see something different about you. Okay, 
And it's because I'm such an excellent interviewer, mostly. Which was, that's according to the reports. It's not you saying that. That's, that's what, what most people, of the feedback I got was like, Will, you're amazing. I don't right. know how you did that. He's such and you're a just tough, reading the comments right now. He's just such a tough nut, Brian. Like, how'd you do that? <laughs> no, but really, seriously, you shared a lot of who you are, man. Right. Like, I didn't know about your dad dying when you were so young. I, I didn't know about your work experience here at Fox, and you explained to me what it was like to work in the previous environment versus now. And... um although our job is to talk about those big things, I, I don't know. I, I loved hearing about you and not in a, not in a egotistical, narcissistic, selfish way, but who, and then you and I had a debate on Ukraine and I, yeah. in all seriousness, I did get this comment. People was like, I, I disagree. This is some people who probably agree with me more. I didn't, I disagreed with Brian on his position on Ukraine after hearing it, what, what animates Brian and why he learns about it and cares so much. I have a different perspective on his point of view. I just I don't know. Oh, I think, that's great. Yeah, yeah. They uh, still thought I won. That right? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I don't see that. I'm looking at your comments. No one said that, that you won, and that's interesting. But uh, I guess it's there somewhere. Um, I, I think it's true. Uh, I think that uh, for me personally, I look at Republicans. I hope this comes out non-biased. Republicans just want to do those circles, and when people try to penetrate those circles, that's when they push back. When they want to fight, they want the freedom to pick their family, their occupation, where they want to live and what have. And they want less control and, in theory, less blame. You know, Social Security gets cut or this gets Medicare is a problem in my state or property taxes go up. When things start, exterior things start happening out of their control and they look around and say, whose fault is it? Well, it's the person who's making me get an electric car. Yeah. It's the person that is uh, that is condemning me for my lifestyle or – Creating policies that make it unsafe for me to walk down the street. Crime, a huge issue. So these things happen. That's when Republicans get engaged. For the most part, Democrats seem to have a problem with the status quo. So they're looking to change it, and it's infiltrating on everybody's lives, and then it cuts into the people's conversation. And the one thing that I I spoke at Governor Pataki's thing last night, and he has a fellowship, so he has a bunch of college students, elite college students there, and, they, and then other people put their hands up, and every single person has a, somebody in their family they're not speaking to because of politics. Uh, that's just back to that thing. Is that we, I don't have to ask this rhetorically now. Yeah. That is incredibly unhealthy. <laughs> it's unbelievable, yeah. If you're not speaking to your family because of politics, something has gone incredibly yeah. wrong. Yeah. I mean, unless, you know, unless you're James Carville and Mary Matlin, where you can see they do this for a living, and they have no problem living with each other. But I yeah. just say to myself, you're not even in politics. What are you doing? Like you're you're in entertainment. Why? You know what does that have to do with poli- You know Donald Trump. Enough. Uh, so we'll talk about more of this. We have a few more minutes at the bottom of the hour. Somebody really smart will be with us. Michael Rubin, a senior differently, fellow, differently than me. Somebody really smart is coming up on the show. Uh, I didn't know you were so insecure. Well, you chose that adjective while I'm sitting here. I can't even say it what's written down. It wasn't pointed. American Enterprise Institute. <laughs> Uh, He specializes in Turkey and the Middle East. Will doesn't. Back in a moment. (laughs) Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
I said it was up to the citizens of Pennsylvania, and of course, but I will tell you all this, if I lived in Pennsylvania, I would have already cast my vote for John Fetterman for many reasons. That is Oprah Winfrey going for John Fetterman in Pennsylvania, Will Kane, even though Mehmet Oz was a guest on her show and he was so good he got his own show. Oprah syndicated him, who was wildly successful, and they're really good friends. Uh, and I was just, I was surprised that she would weigh in at this point. And because she has no, at this point, I guess it's only one or two points separating the two. The last poll, Oz is out on top. Are you surprised? No, and we we had that conversation throughout the morning on Fox and Friends because I don't, I expected, I expect Oprah to be a partisan above friendship. Uh, first of all, like the conversation we were just having, I think, again, the concentric circle working from the outside in, the Democrat Oprah, which we know that she is, would place her political vote closer to what she considers virtue than loyalty to a friend. Like that doesn't surprise me as a celebrity, as a Democrat. That doesn't surprise me that she would have those those priorities reversed. You pointed out, I think, very astutely this morning that, well, she didn't just do it for any old Democrat. She did it for John Fetterman, which is that and in and of itself has to be surprising and shocking because he's uh, known as a lazy guy lived with his parents till he was well, he 40 can't talk. and he's Bernie Sanders to the left so that's what he stood for well, his policies are far his, left and his competency right now with, and what was the question on Twitter it's great it's great I just put this out on my uh, genuinely curious Oprah would you hire John Fetterman to run your business and I think we all know okay let's let's and why don't you give him uh, is that too big of a layup give him the Oprah let's, let's uh, change give him the series Oprah, would you hire John Fetterman to serve as your chauffeur? Oprah, Eh. would you hire John Fetterman to represent you in a court case? Would you hire John Fetterman to, I don't know, like manicure your lawn? I I think the answer clearly on all of these is no. Right. So why would you encourage the people of Pennsylvania to hire John Fetterman to represent them in the United States Senate? That is a great question if she would answer honestly. And what I would do is line up her 25 businesses and say, which one of them would you like John Fetterman to take over? And are you, cons- are you honestly saying that you would do a good job? Uh, wh- uh, what about his resume makes you think he'd be successful running any of your companies? Right. Because he's going to be getting a very powerful position in the Senate, and he can't talk. And we don't know how he can think. I wish it was a different story, but if you or I had a stroke— we wouldn't be we wouldn't be able to be on camera and on radio. It's relevant, yeah, as exhibited by the president of the United States. Will Kane, not a stroke uh, who's directly, on this weekend? Competency. Uh, Pete Hegseth and Rachel Campos Duffy, and then four <laughs> hours. It's eight hours. It's a lot of TV. It's a lot of Rachel and Pete. Yeah. Hopefully, you'll be able to get a word in. Eight hours because that has been your complaint in the past, right? <laughs> That's not true. Back in a moment. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Yeah, the situation is getting more and more dangerous. And not because the Taiwanese people are pushing for independence. They're not. And not because the war hawks and neocons and neolibs in Washington are pushing for a Cold War. That's not what, why the situ- status quo is changing. It's changing because Beijing is changing it. Because on the Chinese side, they're no longer happy with it. They're pushing it. They're becoming more aggressive. They're telling Taiwan what to do in that 20th party of 
Congress, they changed the Constitution of China to make it more hawkish on Taiwan. That was Josh Rogan of the Washington Post, who knows more about that area than almost most people you'll ever walk into, and who just came back from Taiwan himself, talking about Ukraine, Taiwan, and China. Michael Rubin joins us now, a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, where he specializes in Iran, Turkey, and the broader Middle East. Uh, Michael, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. Michael, first off, I'm I, I just struck by your article on Iran and how the European Union is beginning to bail out and understanding that America was not acting cavalierly when they looked to isolate this regime. What is souring the European Union uh, on Iran? Well, the first thing, Brian, is we need to remember why Europe got involved with Iran more than 25 years ago. It's because they thought at the end of the elder Bush administration that, you know, American diplomacy, its cowboy unilateralism, as they characterized it, was not as good as the European embrace of the United Nations of multilateralism. Now they're realizing as Iranians rise up and try to free themselves from this regime that they were wrong all along. It really is quite striking. I mean, if Europe got involved with Iran because they wanted to show that they were better at diplomacy than the United States, then it's a time for a wake-up call saying, really? So right now there's a massive unrest inside Iran. They were told over the weekend, enough, it's over. They've arrested thousands of people and killed hundreds. So this seems, this seems to be bigger and more sustained and more sustained than any I remember before. What are your sources telling you? It absolutely is more sustained. You know, yesterday, just outside of Tehran in a town called Karaj, Karaj is to Tehran what Baltimore is to Washington. People were actually going after the security forces seeking to disarm them. The thing to understand about Iran uh, and about the Shia world, the Muslim world over there, is that when someone is killed, you have a funeral. But then after 40 days, you have a memorial service. And so what we're starting to see are crowds coming out after the 40-day memorial, which is just sparking more outrage. Now, this is a pattern which happened in the original 1979 Islamic Revolution, where the Shah thought he had put down the protests when one or two people were killed. But then 40 days later, suddenly there was a a re-explosion. And that's what that's the pattern we're seeing now, because that woman was killed because she didn't have her headdress right or hijab right or hijab, whatever it is. And And she was just the first of many. And it's continuing. So what do you think our role should be in terms of seeing this unrest, but not wanting to be allowing to become the deflection? Let them focus on us. We want them to focus on their own unrest. And they're trying desperately to get our minds off that. What should what should the Biden administration be saying? Well, easy answer here, Brian. You know, if you remember, I worked in the Bush administration, and part of what I did was work on Iran. One of our biggest mistakes is we we missed our Lequilensa moment. And what I'm referring to is the solidarity movement in Poland under Ronald Reagan, which started with labor unions. In Iran in 2005, you had the eruption of labor unrest, and for the first time you had an independent labor union. What I would actually argue is why is it that Democrats in the United States and progressives the world over are willing to support organized independent labor everywhere in the world except for in Iran? What the Iranians are asking for now are strike funds so that they can go out to the streets and still pay their families. And remember, most of the factories, most of where they're working, are is actually owned by the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Force. So you're not 
hurting just some random Iranian. You're hurting the security forces if people are out on strike. And they can do it because they can go back and forth to Dubai. They can wire money. We have mobile money nowadays. The, the progressives and the Democrats really need to step up and put their money where their mouth is. So you point out in your article, and I, I did not, I'm not as clued in, obviously, with the sources you have, that Germany was all in. And they pulled their ambassador out. Uh, so it's hard to sever diplomatic relations. You know, Trump famously walked away from the Iranian deal. I wish we never signed it. In fact, it never signed in as a treaty. People like Chuck Schumer, Ben Cardin, uh, Menendez, all Democrats, all didn't sign off on this. It was, to me, it's a terrible deal that was going to expire, and they were going to be allowed to f- push their nuclear program forward and still adhere to the agreement. And they still had ballistic missiles that they were developing and shooting off. And we know they were using the extra money to foment terror uh, throughout the Middle East. And when we walked away from that and put maximum pressure on, we started getting results. I believe we were getting results, but that was been reversed. I'm so glad we didn't go back to that deal. So the Europeans now, even though they need their natural gas and their oil, you think they're seeing Jesus when they came to selling them these kamikaze drones and supporting Russia in this fight against Ukraine? I, I think they are starting to see this. Sometimes, look. Uh, you can have you can have the Iranian so-called reformists whisper sweet nothings into your ear, but ideology is ideology. What they're discovering is that this dichotomy between reformists and hardliners was less one of sincerity and more one of good cop, bad cop, playing the Europeans and playing many Americans for useful idiots. Uh, let's fast forward over to uh, what China's doing, consolidating power around President Xi and what it means for the future of Taiwan. You said when we sold weapons to Ukraine, that was good. We were slow, but it was good. But we made sure not to sell them anything, give them anything that could reach into Russia. You don't think we should make the same mistake in, uh, with China and Taiwan? In what respect? Well, you know, Brian, as uh, you know, earlier this morning, I actually came back from Taiwan. And while I was in Taiwan the last week or so, I wasn't only on the main island. I was also in a place called Kimoi, which was during the Eisenhower era where the Taiwan crisis was. Taiwan has the main island and then a bunch of other smaller islands close to China. What amazed me from Kimoi is just a stone's throw away, closer from Kimoi to this Chinese town of Zeman than it is from Newark, New Jersey, to New York City, to Manhattan. You have a Chinese town of 5 million people. Well, if China is going to go after Taiwan, why should, and this is what the Taiwanese ask, why should the fighting be limited to the eastern side of the Taiwan Strait? Why shouldn't China realize that if they go after Taiwan, you're going to have cities of 5 million people in China that are in the danger zone? You know, if China thinks that they can have aggression but not pay the price at home, that's the real danger. And what the Taiwanese are saying is, hey, look, the Americans talk about strategic ambiguity, but President Xi in China has scrapped that. He says he wants to go after Taiwan militarily. People are now talking about the year 2027, and the reason for that is China's population is actually starting to decline. They know that the clock is ticking on them, and so, I mean, we've got to start preparing. We can't be reactive Mm. the way we were when uh, Russia was ramping up against Ukraine. Right, and I'm thoroughly for that. The best way to avoid war is to be ready to fight a war and let people know what kind of war we fight and the weakness we showed in a— in Afghanistan has led, in my, in my mind, to all this, uh, as well as doing the ridiculous thing of alienating Saudi Arabia. So we've alienated Saudi Arabia and their hedge, which is, which is a hedge against Iran. And while the Israelis say, 
get out of that Iranian deal, but they're worried about themselves because they feel as though they're not they're really uneasy about this administration. Well, you're absolutely right. What what really also struck me on this trip, I toured the Chinese border with India, then I went to Singapore, Australia, and Taiwan. The thing that really worried me is when we're looking at the future, when we're looking at the possibility of a conflict, and God knows we don't want a conflict, but we don't get the only vote in this. Did you know that 90% of the jet fuel which our naval aviation would use in any conflict with Taiwan is stored in a single tank farm in Singapore? To me, that's a vulnerability that is just mind-boggling because if, if there's a war, if we come to Taiwan's defense, we're going to have to use naval aviation, and the Chinese can prevent us from doing that with a quick preemptive strike on a tank farm in Singapore. And what the Taiwanese said is that they know that the People's Liberation Army has already drilled and sort of concealing people inside cargo ships in order to infiltrate ports and infiltrate these refueling facilities. Fantastic. Uh, uh, I never thought, I mean, to get somebody that's, that actually eyeballed this themselves is unbelievable. You also believe that Singapore might be in the middle of this Taiwan fight, that uh, we have 1,000 U.S. Defense Department personnel in Singapore, about 200 active duty military. How could Singapore be in the middle of this? Well, the reason Singapore would be in the middle of this is because all of our, almost all of our JP-5 aviation fuel is stored there. Now, China... I mean, one of the one of just the misconceptions out there is that if that China wanted to go after Taiwan, it would be limited to Taiwan. There, when I was in Taiwan, a lot of the defense officials I was talking to, including those on sort of the the peacenik side of the equation, were saying, you know, if China were going to go after Taiwan, it would simultaneously going after Japan and Singapore. What we would be talking about is a regional war. Now, the thing that all scares me, Brian, we talk about the economy now and the impact of Russia invading Ukraine on the economy. If you draw a circle around India and China, more people live inside that circle than live outside that circle. We can't even begin to imagine what the ramifications for the international economy would be if there's a war in this area, which is why we need to do our best to deter it now. I hear you. Uh, Do you think the administration understands some of the things you're saying? I don't think the administration understands some of the things we're saying. I I mean, frankly, I don't think the president understands um, what's going on right now. Um, Across administrations, however, we tend to be pretty myopic. We tend to be reactive rather than proactive. And unfortunately, we're facing an adversary like China, where, as Michael Pillsbury, the author and former China hand, said, they're engaged in a 100-year marathon. They're not... um, maintaining a strategy in the belief that it can adhere simply to the American political calendar, uh, it's putting at us, us at a tremendous disadvantage. Yeah, and with the president coming out and blurting out three times that we would militarily four times, resp- four times militarily respond if Taiwan was invaded, and then his own administration walks him back, what are we to believe? Well, this is what the Taiwanese were saying with frustration, not only the Taiwanese, the Indians when I was there as well, and the Australians, they were basically saying, hey, look, the Americans traditionally had a policy of strategic ambiguity, and that made sense. But now China has has changed the status quo. 
just last month, President Xi has said, we're going to go after Taiwan. We're going to unite uh, China by force. And there's no ambiguity there. So why, is the Amer- why are the Americans adhering to a strategy that's no longer relevant, that's overtaken by events? And remember, this is the thing that most people don't, don't realize. Taiwan has never really been part of China. It certainly hasn't been part of China since 1894. That, I mean, just think. Cuba. Spain owned Cuba back until 1898. We're talking about a country that really has had, it's a thriving democracy. It wants nothing to do with Taiwan, China. China. It has a different culture. It's astounding that we're deferring to China's interpretation of history. Michael, being that you just got out of the region, uh, I know you're the expert, but you know, my theory has always been Taiwan is an example of what China could be, a quality of life, a productive society where voting is free and people have a voice. And as long as that example of what China could be is off their shore, they could never feel secure about their own country. You're absolutely right. And let me just add to that Singapore. I mean, one of the most amazing things about Singapore is how it's booming now. And I ask people, why are all these apartment blocks going up? Why is business booming the way it is against a global recession? And they said, you know, it's all the businesses from Hong Kong. They don't want to exist under China. China's interfering with them. So they've all over the last year quietly relocated to Singapore. Nice. Uh, That's the example. I mean, we all know what works and what doesn't, what lets people be themselves and gives them an opportunity. It's democracies. It's amazing. We're so critical of our own culture and government when the alternative is so heinous and all these other people are just fighting for their freedom, wondering if today's the day they lose it. Michael Rubin, thanks for everything you do and all you write about. I appreciate it. We'll talk again. Thank you. 1-866-408-7669. When we come back, we'll uh, open up the phones. There's a lot going on. I mean, we're looking days now into the midterm elections. And now, 538, that New York Times website uh, and polling place that had two weeks ago a 70 percent chance of the Democrats holding the Senate now have a 51 percent chance, 51 percent chance. And they say likely that Republicans win the Senate. What caused the change? We'll discuss it in a moment. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. The only people I ever heard here use the word inflation are journalists um, and economists, right? So that is not part of the normal lexicon of the way people talk. So it's interesting that Republicans are doing something they don't normally do, right? Which is not use the, com- the common tongue, right? Not use just common English to sort of use do on their campaigns like they're doing with crime. But what they've done is they've taught people the word inflation, right? Most people who would have never used that word ever in their lives are using it now because they've been taught it, including on TV, including in newspapers. They've been taught this word, and they they sort of wrap this word around whatever it is that they really want to vote, you know, the reasons they really want to vote. So that is emblematic. I think she's probably an army of one. That is Joy Reid of MSNBC. That is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life. Inflation is the most fundamental thing to every American, whether you're rich or poor. Everybody knows if that uh, the shopping bill, whether you're buying sneakers or you're buying uh, or you're buying uh, cereal, 
you see how much more expensive everything is. And I did a panel today on Fox and Friends, and one of those women says, "I'm uh, one of the women's Madeline says I live paycheck to paycheck, and my paycheck hasn't grown, but my food bill has, and so is my heating bill. Everything is costing more. So if you don't, she didn't say to me." Inflation is causing it, but she did say inflation is causing it by what she said. So it is the most fundamental thing that it's the most relatable word that you will ever have in politics and economics. Because if you say to someone, what is it like shopping? What are your bills like? And they say everything is more expensive. They know exactly when they think they know exactly what changed, what changed that caused this to happen. Who inflated the price of things? And who kept my salary the same? And the reason why the red wave is reprimed and abortion and the road decision and the Dobbs decision is now seventh and eighth on the things that matter most. Why white suburban women have gone from leaving the Republican camp because of the harshness of Donald Trump to running to the to running to the Republicans in mass. Numbers pretty staggering. Get this in terms of the shift. 27% of white suburban women have shifted away from the Democrats since August. 15% favor Republicans in Congress. That's plus 15%. Why does it happen? The word that she says nobody uses, inflation. The cost of everyday items. If you want to talk about Obamacare, that is an everyday item. I get it. But still, you don't necessarily need health care daily. Daily, you need food, you need to get gas, you need to buy tires, you need to go on Amazon and order something, and everything's more expensive. Democrats, for the most part, agree with Joy Reid, which is why Republicans stand to have a huge day on Tuesday. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Big hour coming your way. Uh, we're going to do a simulcast with Vardy and Company, where I'll talk about my paperback now out, The President and Freedom Fighter, uh, that is uh, available now. It's got new information in it, and I've ta- discussed really uh, how it all came to fruition. Some of the things I talk about in the book were attacked during the George Floyd riots as everyone wants to take down every statue of our past because people lived in perfect lives, and they didn't like the way a statue that was dedicated to Lincoln was uh, going to be ripped down by the rioters in Washington, D.C. The problem is it was paid for by freed slaves, and it was dedicated by Frederick Douglass. And people have no clue about what that means. Educate yourself. But Massachusetts, they pulled out a replica. And they also pulled Frederick Douglass's statue out in Rochester where he spent most of his free life. And I just put that into the afterward to just make this this great moment in history, this uh, this significant moment in history, I should say, with these two great men stand out. I'm talking about the President Freed Friday, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and the Battle to Save America's Soul. Geraldo standing by. Let's get to the big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Kim Jong-un halted his nuclear tests ahead of those infamous meetings with Donald Trump in 2018. But there is basically no diplomacy at this point between the Biden administration and North Korea, only brinksmanship. And so we are seeing just escalation after escalation from North Korea. World on fire from Iran sending missiles to Russia to North Korea sending rockets over Japan and Ukraine war for their sovereignty rages. Joe Biden's foreign policy has our allies in peril and our enemies on the march. We outline the challenges spawned by our exit from Afghanistan. Number two. If you take the House going Republicans, it matters whether Kevin McCarthy has a really tight majority or a big one. If he's got a very small, thin majority from a functioning of government standpoint, that's the worst possible outcome. It means he's basically going to be dragged around by the far right of his conference. Matchup, final polls and messages that are making the difference in the final battle for control of the House, Senate and state houses. We'll discuss. Number one. We are seeing huge, huge turnouts uh, all around the country. Listen, in the final days, uh, we have now entered uh, the hysteria and desperation stage of the campaign. That is Byron York, closing arguments as leaders and political rock stars fan out across the country while the president primarily sits it out. We're going to look at the trends, get the hot takes, and fact-check the barbs on both sides as they all try to get out the vote. Geraldo Rivera is with us right now on the Pulse of the People with the Five and everything else, guesting all over the channel, just off Fox and Friends. Geraldo, uh, I was surprised at 538, which is the uh, the, the Democratic-accepted pollster, uh, and looked at with consternation and side eye by some Republicans, says now a 51 percent chance the Republicans win the Senate. What does Geraldo think? I think that's accurate. I think that uh, Vance uh, has eked out a lead here in Ohio over uh, Tim Ryan. Uh, a couple of weeks ago would have been the opposite. I think uh, Oz now, a couple of polls showing he has pulled ahead of Fetterman. Uh, that uh, that gives them uh, that two swing states. I think uh, Herschel Walker in uh, Georgia. You know, I, I think that uh, you're in the middle of football season. Uh, he harkens back to the great old days at the University of Georgia. I just think that uh, he might uh, he might win also. So I think you got there's your 51 votes. I I. I think that they have done it. I'll lose a thousand dollars to Jesse Waters. It pains me uh, to say that, but uh, uh, I think that uh, the Republicans may uh, may take uh, both houses, Brian. What's amazing is Don Bolduck in New Hampshire. I've only been in New Hampshire a handful of times, but uh, man, I love Governor Sununu. I thought he he obviously would have taken out Maggie Hassan. Terrific guy. Terrific. But guy. now after three debates, and I give her credit for debating three times. He actually blue-collared it through that state, did a Scott Brown, did with his pickup truck through Massachusetts. He had tons of town halls, sometimes with two people, sometimes with 200. And now he's up or down one point, and Donald Trump endorsed on Monday. And now, even though Mitch McConnell pulled out, Rick Scott won in, doubled and tripled down, they think he can win. It's unbelievable. I I don't know enough about uh, how radical a candidate he was. I know that was the rap on him. He has a military background, I know. So uh, anything can happen. I I, I wouldn't count her out, though. She has a a latent popularity. She's, you know, understated. Uh, She's done a pretty good job for uh, the Granite State that we visit every uh, every four years. We all send to seem to camp out there unless we're skiers. Uh, but uh, Geraldo, know, Geraldo, people say country. she was the most vulnerable.
candidate among the Democrats. Even though they thought they could take Nevada, they were sure they were going to take New Hampshire. Here is Balduck talking about uh, what's going on with the trend. She was talking, he was talking to Kaylee McEnany last night, Cut 29. Remember, I've been doing this for two years, over two years now, every town and city in New Hampshire. I just finished my 78th town hall, but this is what we see. Uh, and it's not what Senator Hassan sees because she doesn't get out and campaign. She doesn't get out there and talk to Granite Staters. She ignores Granite Staters. She thinks he, she's entitled to their votes, and she's not. And the question was, you're up by one. How did you do it? And, and that's his answer. And I, I always, you know, I always enjoyed him. What, what happened is I know Jennifer Griffin hopped on one time and said some of the things he was saying about the war were not accurate. And that's what people thought was controversial. But you know what they did, Geraldo? And I know you hate this. They put $53 million into candidates in the Republican primary that they thought they could beat. And he was one that Chuck Schumer financed. Uh, and, they, and he got the nomination and they laughed. And now they're not laughing anymore. $53 million to build up so-called election deniers because they thought they'd be so vulnerable to the general population. What gets me, though, Brian, I think that American history will reflect uh, profoundly on this period, is that election deniers, to me, I, I don't know how you feel. I don't, I don't need you to, uh, uh, to expose your innermost feelings, but uh, election deniers, to me, are, are people who think the world is flat. I, I don't get them. I, I, you know, I know a lot of very intelligent uh, people, uh, uh, partisan, sure, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, folks that are otherwise very reasonable, prudent, normal people. Uh, and they uh, to say that the election was a fake and all the rest of that, I feel I feel very unsettled about that. The popularity of uh, President Trump. For one, I mean, he is the, the central figure in it. Uh, but uh, the whole the whole concept that 2020 was a fake and, uh, you know, it just it's just it's some of it spills over in some disgusting ways like the whole. Yeah, no, no, I, I'm, I'm not. Sex and you know and, this, Harley, we've been over this. I, I said the election's the election. I'm not saying it was rigged. I'm saying the thing that made people unsettled, reasonable people, is all the rules that changed because of the pandemic. And hopefully we'll never have to deal with that again. And just, yeah, I I hope the damage. And 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 actually, this is what I think. I was just debating with Will Cain. I think that it's been so severe, resulting in the insurrection and and the raid on the Capitol, that there's it's going to be a third rail for anyone to say this was rigged, this was fixed, these votes were flipped, the ballot was uh, corrupted. I really do. You know, this was gradually the water was getting warmer in 2004 and 2000 with the election mess in 2004 with the challenge of Ohio in 2016 with Donald Trump is illegitimate. And then 2020, the eruption. And I think that now if you're really going to get stigmatized, if you just come out and say, I didn't lose uh, besides asking for a recount, which you're entitled to, depending on the state in many situations, it's automatic like Pennsylvania. Besides that, I think that people are really going to be. Uh, hard-pressed to say corrupt. I lost, and it was fixed, and it was thrown. Well, I hope so. I hope you're right. I hope we get back to sanity in that regard. You know, I'm a registered Republican. I, uh, you know, my my wife and I had a very spirited uh, debate last night here at home. She is working for Nan Whaley, the former Dayton mayor who is running for governor against Mike DeWine, uh, the the incumbent. Uh, Mike DeWine, a very 
charming, reasonable guy. He was a great guest on my radio show when I had the show here in Cleveland. He's written me nice letters. I like him a lot. But he is, uh, you know, he helped, uh, you know, foster the six-week fetal heartbeat uh, anti-abortion law here in the Buckeye State. The question is debate in my family is whether that exclude whether one issue is enough to exclude uh, a candidate from consideration. And uh, you know that's the choice that uh, New Yorkers and uh, people all over the country are dealing with now. Yeah. So how do you feel about Mike DeWine up by about eight? Having a rally with Trump, and Trump's been critical, and he's been critical of Trump, and and JD Vance. What do, what do you think that says? How do you think it'll go? I, I you know, I've been with uh, President Trump in Ohio many times. I've never been with him and Governor DeWine together. Uh, there may have been one passing meeting in 2018 in the midterms when uh, Sean was uh, here in Cleveland and, and Trump was passing through. But I, I, I don't know why. Uh, Mike would do that. I don't think he needed to do that to win. Uh, my, I think that it would be helpful for him, energize uh, his voters, but I think they probably would have voted for him anyway. And, uh, you know, I, I think that... I think it's me, helping out. I, I think, you, you know what, it's very simple, I think. He's trying to help out J.D. Vance and his party. And maybe he's got be, national aspirations. Be, you know, you know so. J.D. Vance is, a, is an interesting character. I mean, Hillbilly Elegy was a terrific uh, autobiography. Uh, he went to Yale Law School, as my daughter Simone did. They both had Amy Chua, the Tiger Mom, uh, uh, author of Tiger Mom, as their professor there. So I, I feel more... Uh, uh, you know, positive toward J.D. Vance than I would ordinarily because he switched from being, a, you know, Trump is a, a Hitler to I love Trump. Uh, but uh, he's, he's, he's definitely become a much more potent candidate than I thought. And uh, if that is Mike DeWine's motive, as you say, uh, then at least politically speaking, that makes sense, Brian. Here is uh, President Trump, and then I want you to respond, please. Cut 42. Now, in order to make our country successful... And safe and glorious, I will very, very, very probably do it again, okay? Very, very, very probably. Get ready. That's all I'm telling you. Very soon. Get ready. Get ready. So, November 14th, it's rumored that he's going to make the announcement. He's been uh, very quiet down the stretch to let this thing play out. Many of his candidates have gone from nowhere to uh, leader or on the cusp of winning from Tudor Dixon to Casey uh, to Carrie Lake. Your thoughts? Well, it's uh, I, I thought right from the beginning that uh, he was going to do it again. The ironic thing, Brian, the bitterly ironic thing is if he had just you know, accepted his defeat in November of 2020 and said, uh, you know, I ran a good race. Uh, I, I lost. Uh, I concede uh, Biden is uh, he didn't he could have used an even tougher language than that. He didn't have to be so submissive. If he had just taken the taken the defeat and then geared up for reelection, the reelection that he's seeking now, very clearly, uh, I would have been for him. Everybody would have been for him. It would have been, uh, uh, you know, so easy. He would have been a clear favorite over uh, Joe Biden or whomsoever the Democrats could come up with. Instead, he did that uh, whole, uh, you know, insurrection business and getting, uh, you know, a raiding on the Capitol and, and refusing to accept the results. I, you know, to me, it disqualifies him. But, uh, you know, listen, he's very powerful. 
Uh, he he could win easily. I think Biden may be the only person who could beat him. Uh, so uh, we could have uh, you know 2020 all over again in 24, Brian. <laughs> wow. Uh, fascinating. Uh, we're gonna, and it's going to be safe to talk about 2024 in just a few days. Geraldo, always insightful to talk to you. Now your mission is to have a great Ohio-centric weekend. Can you do that? I am going to my boat right now for my last cruise of the season uh, before I put her on a truck and take her down to Florida. Okay. <laughs> and I'm going to go on my yacht, but first I'm going to take my <laughs> private plane to get there. Okay. And then I'll chop her You're to my yacht. Man yes. of the people. <laughs> I, I'm sure anywhere, everyone can relate to me and my lifestyle. Thanks, Geraldo. Okay, Brian. Right. Actually, I'm going to Scranton, Pennsylvania, <laughs> right? I'm going to Stroudsburg tonight at Betstock. And then Saturday, Scranton, Pennsylvania, Books a Million. Very similar to Geraldo's uh, final voyage. Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. But what's also surprising to me is the abortion issue. Um, I read a a poll just yesterday that white Republican suburban women are now going to vote Republican. Why? It's almost like roaches voting for raid, right? I think that's insulting insulting to the voter. They're voting against their own self-interest. Do they want to live in Gilead? Okay, so do we want it in the hands of the Do we love democracy or not? Because just saying that it's it's insulting to the voter. People make up decisions on what's (laughs) right for their family, and the idea that you should have a say for everyone else's vote. The fact that women are voting against their own You had a different view on abortion not that long. Long ago, and you I have that view. But that issue is right. I but then why? But then why is another woman but not I am very able to have a different view? That white Republican suburban women. But why are have voting you so recently evolved on the issue? I wish it wasn't white. I just was hope it would be suburban women. I don't know why it was necessarily to say white suburban women. I think if you're in the suburbs, my hope is there'll be people of all races there. Uh, but white suburban women, it is if you are just a political operative. It is so noteworthy on this cycle because if you're a Republican, you want to build on that. And if you're a Democrat, it's a five alarm fire because you got the suburbs. You got suburban women last cycle. And a lot of people said it was because Trump's abrasive edges. All right. Rough edges. Fine. He had it in 2016, lost in 2020. If you factor in white suburban women and you factor in Hispanic vote, a time in which people were talking about that old party of white men is dying off. That was the story 10 years ago, much the story eight years ago. And now people are saying the party that looks as though they're reflecting mostly the American public is the Republican Party. And one key moment was when Donald Trump went instinctively, got the blue collar vote and was not looking at the union as necessarily the enemy. We know the problems with the unions. They take the money and they go for Democratic candidates. It made Republicans say, why bother? But it also gave a mixed message to Republican uh, would-be voters, the blue-collar worker. Republicans don't want you. That's not the case, especially because the Republicans are lost Wall Street. And I hope Wall Street sobers up and realizes for their own best interest, you're better off with Republicans. They're trying to cut corporate tax rates, not to give the rich a break because corporations hire people. People get hired by corporations. They can grow within those corporations. And that gives, provides more opportunity. That's the theory. For uh, for Donald Trump helped broaden out 
the, Demo- the Republican Party. He also said, yeah, I hate these trade deals. Really? I hate the trade deals. But every Republican's for trade deals, international trade deals. It brings the price of goods down. Yeah, but we lose manufacturing. And all of a sudden, Chuck Schumer and company say, uh, that's kind of what I was saying. Uh, excuse me? You are against China, against some of these trade deals. Republicans were for them. So Donald Trump had to get the blue-collar vote. He temporarily, it seems, has lost the, the, the suburban women. But they always seem to be there, perhaps, for the Republicans. And now they might be back. If that happens... Uh, almost all these close races break their direction because whatever state you're in, whatever community you represent, you have some suburban, suburban women there and they have some opinions and they hate the inflation. They hate uh, having boys play with girls and girls sports. They hate the transgender talk and they don't like people that teach uh, others to hate their country, especially their seven-year-olds, their 11-year-olds and their 18-year-olds. They don't like what comes home. Brian Kilmeade A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. We protected you guys for years in corporate America. We cut your taxes. We lightened your regulation. We fought the trial lawyers. And you turned around and on every issue of cultural salience, you sided with Democrats, whether it be the environment, voting rights, you know, go down the list, immigration, Mm -hmm. whatever. And so their view is, you know, Middle finger, basically. Not only are we not going to protect you anymore, we're going to actively look for opportunities to harm you. And the Ron DeSantis playbook in Florida with Disney, that's Mm. not some aberration. That is a beacon, a bright beacon for Republicans of what they want to do on the Hill. And to be clear, there's not much they can do substantively. Biden's in the White House. But the oversight is just going to be a star chamber. So Jonathan Swan on a podcast, he's 100% right. And that's very similar to the point I just made, that uh, the, the Republicans were perceived to be somebody against the working class because they were coming against new unions, in my view, because unions, 90% of the union uh, executives give all the money to the Democrats and urge their union members to do just the same. And then when they went to Wall Street and the tax cuts benefited Wall Street, Wall Street turns around and for the most part go totally endorses Democrats. And doesn't condemn the fact that they're walking away from oil and gas. They're pushing green technology, which we don't have access to. Perfect example. The CEO of Ford. He comes out and he built the the Lightning. He said, yeah, I built the Lightning and everyone's happy and it's going to be affordable. But I'll tell you, I can't mass produce it. We already have exceeded all the reservations and, and down payments because I don't have the rare earth needed for the batteries and technology, let alone the, the powering stations. So corporate America is being bullied into doing these things, stuff that the Republicans were not making them to. We're not doing it. They provide, they provide the donations to the uh, Democratic Party. And now Republicans are finally speaking up and standing up. And now they're being so politically correct, they're clamping down when their employees stand up and say, you got to push back against the don't say gay bill, which was mislabeled by left-wing activists. And Ron DeSantis, okay, you have lost your autonomy status. You'll be taxed like everybody else. And he told Disney to stand down. And when they didn't, he went through with it. And now we haven't heard a word. And that's what Jonathan Swan's saying. And when Governor DeSantis does that instinctively and then stands up to district attorneys who are now prosecuting criminals and putting them in jail instinctively, that's what makes him one of the most formidable politicians in America. I'm very curious to see if he's going to be a presidential candidate in 2024. I actually don't think anyone quite knows. But as you have different analysts 
I love hearing the experts who are diving into the numbers in the precincts. I don't want to hear cheerleaders at this point. I know where most people stand. I want to know the facts on the ground. What I'm staggered to find out is Don Bulldog is up one or down one in New Hampshire. I am uh, heartened to see that Dr. Oz, if that a hideous debate by John Fetterman, is finally leading in Pennsylvania. We should have some standards to our politicians. They have to be able to do the job. And I didn't think Bernie Sanders would get elected in Pennsylvania, but that's exactly who uh, John Fetterman is, even though he's changing his point of view. So in New York, they're beginning to panic. And they're bringing out their, what they consider a big guns. Hillary Clinton, the vice president of the United States, Jill Biden. And according to Lee Zeldin last night, they only had about 200 people at a rally for Governor Hochul, who thinks cracking down on crime is cracking down on guns. It is not. If you saw the person, if you heard about the story of the rape that happened on Thursday at 530 in the morning from a jogger in a beautiful section of New York City, when this person who's been convicted 12 times of various crimes knocked her, choked her out to to, she was on the edge of consciousness and then raped her and then got arrested afterwards when he went to a Walmart and turned out on a surveillance camera buying Red Bull, you realize it's not about guns. But you knew that anyway. Here's Hillary Clinton. Cut 20. They want to turn back the clock on women's rights in general, on civil rights, on voting rights, on gay rights. They are determined to exercise control over who we are. Okay, so that is that might be how you feel when your book club, you might want to rant about that, Hillary. That's not what people are talking about. They're talking about inflation, economy, crime, and the border. That's it. Number five, six, seven might be abortion. No one's taking away women's voting rights. Are you nuts? But go ahead. Keep saying it. Let's see if Kamala Harris has the right message. Cut 22. Elections matter. Elections matter. And we have so much at stake in this one. Just think about this. The United States Supreme Court, the highest court in our land, just took a constitutional right that had been recognized. All right, there you go. Thanks. Uh, Does anyone hand these people any polling data before they go up and write their speech? And if they're not going to write it out, she should write everything out. But if they're not going to write it out, understand the theme that's going to resonate. Is is there a political expert in Kathy Hochul's crew, aside people that raise money? The issue is crime. That's why he's, he's there. The issue is getting something done, uh, being reasonable, and maybe, dare I say, frack, because the environmental impact is negligible. And I think working behind the scenes, Governor Cuomo is working against Governor Hochul because I think he feels like she turned on him, so her opportunity. I think he's a despicable person. I'm not taking his side, but he does have some people that support him. He certainly has a lot of money. He could be a factor, a positive factor, maybe behind the scenes. As he rehabs his image, I think he wants to see Zeldin win. So this is the message. These people are supposed to be helping. So Chuck Schumer showed up, and he has to quickly tell everybody that Lee Zeldin is uh, Donald Trump. Cut 19. Can't take this for granted. Oh, no. Governor Hochul's opponent, Lee Zeldin, has proposed an extreme anti-abortion, anti-woman agenda for the state. Think about it. Let's think about it. A guy who is out and out against abortion could be governor of New York unless we act. We cannot let that happen. 
All right. So Senator Chuck Schumer is desperate to hold on to the Senate. He thinks it's going to happen. I personally think he knows he's going to lose it. I think he feels that way. Number two, uh, Lee Zeldin cut an ad. He says, I'm not going to touch abortion, much like Marco Rubio. He says, they're pro-life, but New York isn't. So he's going to leave everything in place. And they cut an ad to say that. So I think you think that all New York City dwellers are knuckleheads? People have done a little bit of research. They've seen at least eight major local politicians who are Democrats say, I'm voting for Zeldin. Something's got to change. If I was Lee Zeldin, I would call up William Bratton and I'd say, uh, Commissioner, I would love for you to be my criminal, uh, my crime consultant. I'm going to pay X amount of dollars and I would announce it. And I think that Bratton might do it because Bratton, I think, is, is trying to help Eric Adams. He's helped. Uh, he's turned around Boston. He's turned around Los Angeles. He's done New York. For Zeldin, I think that he gets it. And last night, I was at an event for Governor Pataki. It was kind of, they were kind enough to ask me to speak about the President and Freedom Fighter, which, by the way, I'm signing at Books a Million on Saturday in Scranton. Um, and they were saying that Lee Zeldin, in the beginning, was not fanned out across the state, western New York in particular, and was not doing certain things. And he was coachable. They bulked up his team. More money is flowing in because it's clear, clearly he's got a possibility, more than a possibility of winning. In fact, I think it's a flip of a coin now. And he certainly got his message down. Here's what he said last night to uh, Jesse, Cut24. We have all the momentum, all the energy on our side. We have the issues on our side. And they are desperate to try to figure out how to energize their base. So that's why they're bringing Hillary out today and Kamala, Bill Clinton, Jill Biden, and they're getting really small crowds. There were less than 200 people at the event with Jill Biden. Uh, there's just no energy over there. Yeah, and, and he goes on to talk about what I just said. The things they're talking about are not going to decide this election. They're into abortion rights, and she keeps talking about uh, she keeps talking about guns. Number one, there's been national gun legislation passed, and it was very smart of Senator Cornyn, in my view, because he took it off the board. You can't say Republicans don't want to do anything about it. I think they did some reasonable things and still empowered the states, number one. Number two, uh, the Second Amendment was being abused in New York. That was found by the Supreme Court. So guns are an issue. In New York City, you pretty much can't defend yourself. And when we see what's going on, we're about 6,000 cops down in New York. I was talking to Curtis Lee last night. He said, when we were a safe city, we had 40,000 men and women in blue. We're at 34,000 now. Now, we could get more, but the economy's alight, the recruiting's got to be strong, and there's got to be a willingness to do it. Let's get up to 4,000 back in the subways, 40,000 strong. Lee Zeldin, cut 25. We're talking about the attacks on their wallet, their safety, their freedom, the quality of their kids' education, and the other side is refusing to talk about those issues. And instead, they're trying to talk about other stuff that isn't most important to New Yorkers. I think that's he nailed it. And it's almost as if he's unopposed. We used to, and I'll talk about this on One Nation on Saturday at 8 o'clock. We used to identify the issue, and the story used to be how different parties handled the issue. Whether it was immigration, whether it was health care, whether it was crime, whether it was punishment, or whether it was voting, whatever it was. But now we cannot get Democrats to at least go to the top five issues that pollsters reveal that you care most about. That's what's different. The Democrats are doing what's best for them, not even addressing what's best for you and trying to win you over with their ways. Now it's Republicans saying, I'm actually here alone.
Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Just going to take my coat off for my TV hit to make it seem like, I don't know, like Jimmy Olsen, breaking news in the newsroom. Didn't he never wear a jacket? He always had his tie a little loose. I don't know if I'm really breaking news here or just providing commentary. And then I'm going to weave over and take your phone calls. And don't forget, One Nation, 8 o'clock on Saturday, repeated at 11. Uh, we got a great roster of guests from Dr. Oz to Carrie Lake uh, to Pete Hegseth doing News Duel. Who else do we have, Allison? Yeah, I know it's on the tip of your tongue. Oh, Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity, Chris DiStefano, one of the finest comedians in the country, doesn't mind talking politics and doesn't care if you cancel him. And he's also very proud that he married a Puerto Rican woman. Correct? Thank you. Let's listen in. You know what that means? Come in here, Brian Kilme. Good morning to you, Brian. I want to get to this issue right away. The governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, finally admitting there's a crime problem in New York City. She said that it's, quote, not a new issue, but... She claimed last week the crime was a conspiracy. To me, it looks like she's backtracking with just days to go before the election, right? And, and cutting ads about it, showing she's tough on crime and always has been. Mm. And then she drilled down and said, what I was saying is <laughs> shootings and murders are down. And when my comeback to that is, yeah, down from 21 to 22, but 21 was through the roof and so was 2020. Others point out, well, crime was an issue during Trump's years. Fine. I don't know if you noticed, but Trump used federal troops over in, uh, in Portland and in Seattle. You know that he offered National Guard to Chicago to try to get these gang wars broken up before it spread to the city. Oops, it already has. It's the <laughs> one thing about with the previous administration, they at least addressed the problem. We used to debate how they did the problem. Maybe it was too aggressive. We don't want Donald Trump's federal troops there. We can handle it ourselves as the mayors rallied with the George Floyd rioters. Remember that. So all the groundwork was laid there, but we had an administration trying to rein it in. We cannot get an administration in Washington to acknowledge the problem, even though he goes to Union Station two nights ago where there's nothing but crime, drugs, and homeless (laughs) all all around him. Right. Nuts. Nothing to see here, folks. Just move along. All right, next one, Brian. Hillary Clinton and Vice President Kamala Harris hitting the campaign trail for Governor Hochul on Thursday. Watch this. I'll get your comments. When I think about uh, Kathy, I think about someone who actually legitimately cares about the people of this state. They don't care about keeping you safe. They want to keep you scared. The governor herself said it. Everything is on the line. She has shown you what she cares about. She has shown you how hard she will work for the people of New York. Really? What has she done? Has it she been on the... It feels so insincere. It, it feels so insincere. It feels like they've been given a bunch of, you know, uh, information on a, on a flash card and they're just reading it. I don't think they know her. Uh, Ashley, a couple of things. You're right. They probably don't know her. A, 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 a obscure Buffalo politician that in order to shore up Governor Cuomo's <laughs> Upstate New York vote is fell, uh, folded in, but he didn't meet with her ever. In fact, he looks at her as a turncoat now. You saw her on with John Castamatidis earlier. Governor Cuomo was basically mm-hmm. critical of her for not acknowledging that crime's an issue. He got, he's the reason crime's an issue, because he started and signed off on the no-cash bail. But I don't want to digress. Listen, right. they got 200 people at that event. Nobody cares. Jill Biden... Uh, Vice President uh, Kamala Harris, Hillary Clinton just ranting non sequiturs about things that maybe happened and were relevant in the 1990s aren't relevant now. 
Crime is an issue. And it was Rudy Giuliani, Bill Bratton, Ray Kelly were the ones that reined it in. You can't say that they didn't. That's a fact. Even in right. the Democratic-run city, it's a fact. And Lee Zeldin's talking about it. They still, most of that speech, Ashley, was about abortion. And that is number seven or eight in things that American people care about. This lane is opening up wider and wider for Lee Zeldin. And I was with a group of people last night with uh, Governor Pataki's uh, Mm -hmm. people and staff. And they say that he is Lee Zeldin has done a great job now in western New York, too, getting the vote out there. So he wants over 30 percent in New York City and start dominating Long Island. And then if he could grab some of the upstaters from Kathy Hochul, who evidently he's got some support there. Yeah. There might be this might be the biggest upset of this election season. And before we have to say goodbye, Brian, I just want to mention your book, The President and the Freedom Fighter, now available to order in paperback. There it is. Give me your pitch. Well, it's really uh, the pushback on American history. It's 1776, not 1619. And I wanted to talk about how an African-American slave was able to rise above it all, become one of the most famous people in the world, combined with Abraham Lincoln, our finest president, and bring us through a most tumultuous time. Uh, And to people understand where we've been in this country when it comes to race relations, you have to take the time to study it through use their words to understand why America is the greatest country. And through those times, they wanted to be Americans and they wanted to put the country back together. And Frederick Douglass is somebody that needs to be studied. And that was my hope that people would care enough to pick it up. Very good. All right. The order is in. Brian Kilmeade. Great stuff. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Still ahead on the show. Thank you. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Yeah, one thing that I have not discussed much, but has been discussed on the stump, is the education portion. So last night, when I was addressing the fellowship for Governor Pataki, the last Republican governor of New York who ran for president, is doing great things in Ukraine, uh, extraordinary things in Ukraine to help out those people. Um, just just talking about how the war on history, how people who new moms who are stressed up uh, about inflation, many of which are paycheck to paycheck, have to look at the homework or take uh, field questions from their kids. They talk about how America was founded on stolen land and fueled by slavery uh, and were inherently racist. And now moms got pushed back on what they're learning in school, which is why when Governor Yunkin shows up in this state with his red vest on and talks about getting a hold of the curriculum and maybe implementing here what they have in Arizona, and that is the money that's allocated for your kid is money you can use as a voucher to go anywhere you want. So when your public school's veers left, you could decide to go private or go home, homeschool, and use some of that financing elsewhere. And that's why education is also a simmering huge thing for that Republicans are talking about that resonates with the family. And Democrats talk about abortion and guns. Good luck with that. And our Republicans want you to hate him? I I don't even know what you're talking about. Own the libs? That's what Barack Obama was saying. Listen, don't forget One Nation, 8 o'clock and 11 o'clock. We repeat it, of course, at 11 on uh, Fox News Channel Saturday night. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Excited. This is uh, Friday, and I know tomorrow is a big day. 
because One Nation is on at 8 o'clock. Chance to talk about all the breaking news with the midterm election. So impactful and so close. Uh, just days away instead of weeks away, instead of years away. Soon we could actually say, without people saying, what's the rush? What about 2024? We're back to the presidential cycle again. But I am I'm looking forward to all these races. There's so much drama and intrigue. This hour, I'm going to be joined by Shannon Bream. I know I know she she cannot say that she's sick. She cannot say that she got caught in traffic because I've already seen her on television. Then Senator Rick Scott, if the Senate does go uh, to the Republicans, Senator Rick Scott's going to look great and probably prime for a presidential run unless Trump runs. Which I don't see him running. Uh, if Trump runs. Batia Unger Sargon is one of these great writers from Newsweek. Uh, she is an opinion, uh, the deputy opinion editor. She'll be joining us too and talk about how the woke media is undermining democracy. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. Kim Jong-un halted his nuclear tests ahead of those infamous meetings with Donald Trump in 2018. But there is basically no diplomacy at this point between the Biden administration and North Korea, only brinksmanship. And so we are seeing just escalation after escalation from North Korea. World on fire uh, from Iran sending missiles to Russia to North Korea, sending rockets over Japan to the Ukrainian war for their own sovereignty. Joe Biden's foreign policy has our allies in peril and our enemies on the march. We outline the challenges spawned by our exit from Afghanistan. Number two. If you take the House going Republicans, it matters whether Kevin McCarthy has a really tight majority or a big one. If he's got a very small, thin majority from a functioning of government standpoint, that's the worst possible outcome. It means he's basically going to be dragged around by the far right of his conference. Matchup, final polls and messages that are making a difference in the battle for control of the House, Senate, and the State House. Plus, we break down what this means for the state of Washington after Election Day. Number one. We are seeing huge, huge turnouts uh, all around the country. Listen, in the final days, uh, we have now entered uh, the hysteria and desperation stage of the campaign. Byron York closing arguments as leaders and political rock stars fan out across the country while the president primarily sits it out. We look at the trends, get the hot takes and fact check the barbs on both sides as they try to get out the vote. With me right now, uh, out of the house, Shannon Bream, anchor of Fox News Sunday and Fox News chief legal correspondent uh, and bestselling author. Shannon, welcome back. What the heck is up, Brian? Shannon, first off, you have a great lineup. Let's get that out of the way quickly because this is uh, you're ready to go Sunday. We are. We have got um, a panel that includes Juan Williams, Dana Prino, and Britt Hume. I mean, to break it all down, we've got pollsters, Kellyanne Conway and Mark Penn. Everything is within the margin of error. What the heck do we think from these polls? But we've got the one of the top Democrats in the House, James Clyburn, is with us to talk about you know, their missed opportunity. Um, and now that it looks like the House is going to flip, what happens to like the January 6th committee and all these other things? It's going to be Hunter Biden and the border all the time? I don't know. We'll ask. Yeah, it'll be but such also a... we've got, yeah, go yeah, ahead, we've got Republican governor um, of Oklahoma, uh, Kevin Stitt. Why in the world in deep red country is he having such a difficult time in that race? Are Republicans celebrating their nationwide tsunami too soon? We'll see. Wow. I have a lot to go with there. First off, what about the story that that the Democrats have spent between 47 and $53 mm-hmm. million dollars on candidates that they thought would be easier to beat. There were so-called election deniers yep. to win their primary 
and then, of course, beat them in the general. And we see how almost all of them are blown up in their face from Don Bulldog to Tudor, uh, Tudor mm-hmm. Dixon to Carrie Lake uh-huh. uh, to Blake Masters. All these people that they financed end up being formidable. So what are your thoughts about this? Well, I mean, the president's speech that he gave Wednesday night was all about, you know, democracy is hanging in the balance. By the way, we are a republic. Drives me a little bit crazy. But anyway, the idea of small d democracy is um, on the on the ropes. You got to show up and vote or it's going to be a bunch of election deniers and crazy people running the country. That's basically the final message that he gave the other night. Um, And he's not the only one saying that. There are other Democrats, including Congressman Clyburn, who's going to join us on Sunday. Um, But, you know, if you guys financed a bunch of these people to make it into the general because you thought that would be a good election move, you're partially responsible for these people that you think are a threat to democracy. If it is so bad that you have to, and they're saying, forget about the economy, forget about crime, forget about party, you have to vote a certain way to save um, the future of this country, then why did you even risk putting those people into the general elections? If that is the biggest issue, you guys take some of the blame. They have to. And they, and obviously a lot of people are walking away from that, trying to distance themselves from it. But one of the great stories of this election is General Bolduc, who's doing this, uh, coming up. I think he's up by one or down by one. And he did it because, and to Maggie Hassan's credit, she had at least three debates. Not mm-hmm. A lot of people do are walking away from one. Listen to uh, talk to Don, talk to Kaylee McEnany, cut 30. In the last debate, she said she was the one at Market Basket. She said she was the one that goes to Dunkin' Donuts. That's her idea of campaigning, going to Market Basket and Dunkin' Donuts. And then she revealed last night that it was actually her husband. You can't trust a word this woman says. Uh, She lies in all her ads. Uh, And, you know, it's just indicative of a career politician on the ropes, no idea what to say. And it's her fault the eggs are $8. And she needs to account for that. And I hope on 8 November, Granite Staters make her account for it by voting her out. Nikki Haley came this week. Donald Trump endorsed on Monday. That could be one of the sleeper upsets. And to Chris Sununu's credit, even though Don Boulder came out and said he's an agent of China, (laughs) Because Chris, uh, Chris goes, hey, he won. He's got my vote. I'm going to help him out. And he appeared with Sean Hannity during the week. Uh, your thoughts on this? Well, think about that race that it was so um, what Republicans thought out of reach that the Mitch McConnell aligned super PAC pulled its money there because they said, listen, we need to use this in other states where we think we have a better chance of actually electing a Republican senator to the Senate. Um, other groups looked at Bulldog. They looked at some of the internal polling and said, like, no, oh, I think that we would actually maybe have a shot at this. And so they poured more Republican money into it. Is it too little too late? I don't know. And like you said, I think the debates are good. I think it's great when both sides show up and you actually have a substantive conversation. But, um, you know, he's hoping to close strong and the polls have really tightened up. That's not even something that Republicans were openly, even just a few weeks ago, talking about potentially picking up that seat, not in a very serious way. So if they do that on Tuesday night, it could be a signal they're going to have a good night across the board. I think so, too. Uh, I think one of the most talented politicians to emerge, and it's not clear she's going to win, but it looks like she is, is Carrie Lake. Um, I know she's a broadcaster, but just because you're good at presenting doesn't mean you know the issues. It doesn't mean you can go to a hostile interview and shine. And she's done that. Now, I'm not telling you what to do, but maybe if you wanted a soundbite, listen hmm. to One Nation Saturday night. She's going to be joining me. Oh. 
And I mean, she's going to. I, I'm first, she's going to go to the to the uh, to the border where the where the federal government's trying to take off those storage containers off the wall, mm-hmm. the makeshift wall. When when Arizona had their wall stopped because the presidency changed. Here is um, uh, Carrie Lake is actually was called out by the president uh, President Obama. Here's her reaction to some of the people uh, going after her as well as social media. Cut thirty two. I think people, Sean, are tired of being silenced by the news, tired of being silenced by big tech, tired of uh, worrying about if they speak common sense, they're going to be canceled. And I'm seeing a lot of people who are just saying, this is the time for us to stand up and speak out. If we don't, it's going to be too late. And and, and she goes on and, and she said, you're not going to cancel me. She was the one who was built up from Donald Trump. And then in came the Democratic money. Man, they got to regret that. Listen, it's that whole thing that we were talking about, that they put people into the general or are trying to help push them into the general thinking they'd be easier to pick off. And she's kind of the Democrats' worst nightmare. She travels with her own um, you know, camera crew so that she has everything in context. If a soundbite is pulled, she's able to say, here's the full context of that question. She is masterful at answering questions. You saw her handle the one about the ad against her um, from the U.S. Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, who died after January 6th, um, featuring his mother. I mean, what a difficult thing to be, you know, charged with the mother saying that you or people like you are responsible for my son's death. Um, And she could have come back full blast at that, but she was very careful in the way that she nuanced that and said, I'm a mother too. I can't imagine how much she's hurting. Um, So she's smart. She knows when to go on attack and she knows when to play it um, a different way. And Democrats may really regret not just this year. And like you said, who knows if she's going to win or not. Polls definitely look in her favor, but we'll see. Um, they may regret elevating her to national prominence the way that they have. No question. Just like they regret dismissing Donald Trump, laughed when they first said he was going to get the nomination, and next thing he becomes president and never fully accepted it. Listen, uh, we have so much to talk about, but I want you to save your best stuff for your show. Although your stuff you just gave me is great. But that is Sunday. Check your local listings, but it's on at 2 o'clock on Fox News. Shannon Bream, best of luck. I'm going to see you in person next week, whether you like it or not. Is that true, Allison? Yeah, I'll see you there. All right. Well, I mean, just You're around the halls of Fox News. No, 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 around the halls. Like, oh, you'll probably great. bring me my favorite coffee. You know the treats I like, that kind of thing. All right. We'll have you on more than once next week then. We'll talk to your see people. You then. Okay, bye. Bream, thanks. When we come back, Senator Rick Scott and then Batia Unger-Sargon, uh, the deputy opinion editor of Newsweek. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. And I want to bring balance back into this equation. I want to make sure that the extreme ideas of John Fedman aren't there. And to do that, we've got to do two things. Just two little things. Well, it's going to come to vote, but it's not that simple. You have to get others to vote. I believe in you. And I'm asking you to come with me and bring 10 of your friends, because if we're all in, we win. And that is the new message of Dr. Oz. Uh, He had to be, it's tough to win a very tough primary. He only got 30% of the vote. So did everybody. He got more than everybody else. But now he's talking about balance in Pennsylvania, which is purple. Senator Rick Scott. Senator, you know how to win an election as governor and senator. You never lost. 
Do you like that? You like the nuance, the the toning of the message, the nuance, the shaping of the message in the final stretch. Absolutely. I was with Oz last night when he said that we had a big rally. It was unbelievable how big this rally was last night. Uh, we were just outside um, Scranton, and the the enthusiasm for Oz is there. There's not enthusiasm for Fetterman, and there's a reason. You know, Fetterman's bad on the issues. He wants to release criminals. Um, he wants to legalize all the drugs. The Democrats don't have a plan on for inflation. So Oz is running a great race. Um, Fetterman's not uh, fit based on his policies, and I think we're going to win there. I still believe we're going to end up with 52-plus Republican senators. I think we're going to have a very good night. It'll be very good for the American uh, voter. Uh, so we know this. You have to win Pennsylvania and hold that seat, and then you got to flip a couple of seats. It looked like Adam Laxalt, the last poll, had him in a flat, flat-footed tie. What do your numbers show at Nevada? So here's where, here's where we are. We're going to be able to keep Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, North Carolina. I'm in North, North Carolina right now campaigning with uh, Ted Budd. <clears throat> We've got a bunch of get-out-the-vote efforts today. On top of that, uh, Herschel's up, uh, generally four points. Uh, so hopefully we can get him over 50 so we don't have a runoff. You have Herschel up four up. points? That's our polling has him up four points. By the way, the, the energy for Herschel is unbelievable. What we've done with all of our Democrats is we explained how they voted. People don't like people that vote for open borders. People don't like people that have voted for all this massive spending. People don't like uh, woke military. So what we've done in all these states at the National Republican Central Committee is we've raised our money. We've gone out and defined our opponents, and that's why I think we'll win Georgia. We'll win Nevada. We have a shot in Arizona. We have a very good shot. Boldix pulled ahead up in New Hampshire. Uh, Tiffany Smiley is basically tied in Washington. Joe Day's down three, and Leo Levy's down probably four right now in Connecticut. So we have we have seven of their seats that are in play right now. That's unheard of. Half the seats they have up are in play because the American public is fed up with the Democrat agenda. I want you to hear what Warnock said yesterday, acknowledging Herschel's popularity, because I always enjoy strategy. Cut 16. Herschel Walker was one heck of a football player. I grew up in the 1980s. He could razzle-dazzle you on the football field. But we're we're on a different field right now. And the people of Georgia need a different kind of champion. So acknowledging his popularity, but he's not ready for the job, not up for it, and ripping on his intellect. Your thoughts? First off, Warnick is losing. We've explained that Warnick has voted with Chuck Schumer basically 100% of the time. Uh, He's a pastor that at his church they own an apartment complex. And if you're a dollar behind in the rent, you're evicted. Um, his wife has explained, his ex-wife has explained that Warnick is just a pure actor. I doesn't believe anything he's saying. Um, didn't treat her well. So what we've done is we've explained exactly what Warnick is. His approval now is down to 40%. He only won two years, of, two years ago because before the November election, nobody explained who he was. He walked around with that, with that ad with the dog that he doesn't even own. Um, so what we've done is we said, so we said, this is who this guy really is. He votes with Chuck Schumer. If you love Chuck Schumer, if you want Chuck Schumer uh, to control the Senate, you vote with, with warning. People in Georgia don't like that. They don't like Chuck Schumer. Here is a, so with Bulldog is fascinating. 
He has $300,000. When he won, Mitch McConnell pulled all the money out. And until Monday, Donald Trump didn't endorse. Nominee P. Chris Sununu always said, I'll support the winner, but he called Chris Sununu an agent of China, which doesn't usually endear people. Uh, but now Chris Sununu has put that behind. Donald Trump endorsed on Monday. And then you've been there along the way. Bulldog yesterday talking about what he's done. Cut 31. You know, we're feeling good. We have the momentum. We're still running like we're 20 points behind. I have town halls all the way up until Election Day, which will put me somewhere over 80 town halls during this election, election cycle. She's done zero. She's done a Zoom call with Cheshire County Democrats spaghetti dinner. I don't know how that so, works. So he obviously did his Scott Brown impersonation and went everywhere. When did you realize he had a legitimate shot, Rick Scott? Oh, I believe he had a shot all along. As you know, I don't get involved in primaries. <clears throat> so we've been helping him. Uh, I was up there. I've been up there campaigning with him. He does these town halls. He doesn't put them out on Facebook and, and you know, hundreds of people show up. They love this guy. Ten tours. Ten tours in Afghanistan. He is a patriot. He cares about this country. His opponent doesn't fit. I mean, think about this. How many people think that Chris Sununu and, and, and uh, Schumer would get elected in the same state? They wouldn't. Maggie Hassan is like Warnick. Voted 100% of the time with, with Schumer, right? Doesn't, you know, attacks Border Patrol agents. Just screams at him in a hearing. I was in with her. Um, so she doesn't believe in border security. She doesn't. She's not acknowledged. She doesn't acknowledge that she's caused um, part of causing the crime, uh, the the inflation. Uh, so, you know, people are fed up with her. They know her. It's a small state. They don't like her policies. Senator Rick Scott, uh, your prediction, final prediction is fifty-two. I think it's fifty. I think it's fifty-two plus. I think we have every reason to believe we're going to get Arizona on top of that, um, and I think uh, New Mexico, uh, New New Hampshire, and also. Um, Washington. We have, I mean, we have a shot in, in all these places, including Colorado, and depends on the vote comes out, and the votes are all in our favor right now in Connecticut. So I'm, I'm looking forward to a really good night. Thanks, Senator. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we are back with Batia Unger Sargon, the deputy opinion editor of Newsweek and author of the 2021 book, Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy. Batia, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. You are one of the few people who pronounces my name completely correctly. Really? And yes. It's thank very you. impressive. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm, it's a rare, right, Allison? I mean, so normally it's like I have to apologize uh, after the introduction. So, Eric, can you keep this for a, a cold open? That's what I need. I'm keeping that forever. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thanks for joining us. Thanks I'm I'm going to leave on a hike. Get it? You can get out now. I'm only kidding. Uh, so I want you to hear. So first off, on this election season heading in, yeah, uh, things are pointing so much towards the Republican way. But as much as they're sticking with the issues that matter, but it's almost as if the Democrats have ceded them the ground by sticking with abortion and sticking with guns. You know what we see in New York. How do you explain this? So 
we think that we have a political divide in this country. You know, we think that we have sort of right versus left and that that explains everything that we're seeing. But the truth is, Brian, we don't have a political divide in this country. We have a class divide. And one of the parties is increasingly speaking to the working class and the other party is increasingly focused on the elites. That's what you see in polls again and again and again. You ask Americans, what are their top issues when it comes to voting, Republican voters will say inflation, crime, the economy, jobs, the issues that working class and middle class Americans are obsessed with because these are huge problems in our nation. You ask Democratic voters, what are your top concerns? They will say climate change, abortion, January 6th. These are luxury beliefs that you can think about when you don't have to worry about whether you can feed your kids. So it's so interesting you said that because one of my, my mini monologues uh, on the show Saturday is going to be about the, the only thing that can straighten out this the Democratic Party, and I do hope they get straightened out because they're scaring me, is for them to lose in blue states because these issues that they are talking about don't matter. We watched Hillary Clinton, Kamala Harris, and Jill Biden earlier in the week. And what are they talking about? Abortion rights. Okay, we got it. It's not changing in New York. Stop stop trying to pull the wool over people's eyes that Lee Zeldin is going to change that. Well, crime's a problem. They focus on guns. Oh, well, the crime isn't a problem. Then we realized that was wrong. It wasn't resonating. They quickly cut a crime ad where it shouldn't be that hard. You don't need a pollster to find out what really is bothering the American people. And when you talk about uh, corporate media, they have gone to the Democratic Party Unions are with the Democratic Party, but what Trump has done is gone after the blue-collar worker because he naturally resonates with them. He always has. So listen to what Jonathan Swan uh, concluded from Axios, Cut 44. We protected you guys for years in corporate America. We cut your taxes. We lightened your regulation. We fought the trial lawyers. And you turned around and on every issue of cultural salience, you sided with Democrats, whether it be the environment, voting rights, you know, go down the list, immigration, whatever. And so their view is, you know, middle finger, basically. Not only are we not going to protect you anymore, we're going to actively look for opportunities to harm you. And the Ron DeSantis playbook in Florida with Disney, that's Mm. not some aberration. That is a beacon, a bright beacon for Republicans of what they want to do on the Hill. And to be clear, there's not much they can do substantively. Biden's in the White House, but the oversight is just going to be a star chamber. And... (laughs) Uh, so the, if they get the House and the Senate, they're, they're going to make sure of it. So that's Jonathan Swan weighing in. Corporate America has gone woke. And you write about that. And the rest of the country is snapping out of it. Look, Bill Maher as an example. Liberal, but he is not for canceling people or not listening to other people's sides. So here's my question for the right. I, I totally agree with you. Corporate America has gone woke um, the, the the cultural apparatuses in this country, the corporate media, these are all completely under the sway of woke leftists. They don't care about the working class. They insult their values. They call them racist for wanting Dr. King's vision that we live in a colorblind society. They call them sexist and homophobic for saying that there's a difference between boys and girls and we shouldn't mutilate children, right? Yes, you're right. The left has totally abandoned the working class and the middle class, their values, etc. Here's my question. 
what is the right doing to fight corporate America on the economic front? I see them fighting the cultural battle. That's important. But what is the right doing to make sure that a man can support his family on a single income, that his wife can stay home and raise the children? What is corporate America doing to make sure that truck drivers are not making $46,000 a year, which you cannot support a family on, that you cannot buy a home? There is no middle class dream. There's no American dream for a truck driver making $46,000 a year. So what is the right doing on that economic front to represent the working class? I think Trump got that right. Trump really cared about that stuff. Tariffs with China, trade war, get rid of NAFTA, police the border. That was all really great stuff. But I see increasingly this sort of the free market pull coming back for the Republicans. And and I want to say, no, yes, corporations are bad. They've gone woke, but they're also bad because they're not paying working class men enough to support their families. In some cases, you know, at other times, too, if you have a the ability for the most successful, the hardest workers to be successful, I think that's what Republicans stand for, opportunity yes, for to sure. break out. Uh, so there's a few things going on, too, and that is uh, Democrats not identifying the major issues. So Kathy Hochul finally admitted that what Lee Zeldin's been saying is not rhetoric. Listen to her talk about crime. I acknowledge there is a crime issue. That's why it's not new to me because it's election time. I've been working on this throughout my entire time as governor. For now it to come down to that I'm soft on crime, he's soft on guns, and that is a real problem. It's not true. I mean, she's shown no interest. She has pushed back when the mayor went up to ask about the no-cash bail law. you got to change it. He got, he got his head handed to him. She's done nothing. She's done nothing on immigration, the buses in Port Authority. Has she taken on the, the woke left? Uh, has she taken on Governor Abbott or Governor DeSantis? Invisible. It is so disgusting how they do this. They off they try to offload the responsibility of the crime that is happening in their neighborhoods on their watch onto Republicans by calling it gun violence. The vast majority of gun violence in America is done with handguns. They're out there trying to ban these machine guns. That has nothing to do with the vast majority of people who are getting killed in crime, in violent crime with gun violence. They try to say there's a red state murder problem. It is a lie. It is a slander. It is we have a blue city murder problem, a blue city violent crime problem. The vast majority of the victims of violent crime are black Americans, their own voters, and they abandon them to live with this. It's unbelievable. It is so disgusting to me, Brian. Uh, I think 80 percent of the black community want more cops in their neighborhood. I mean, think about that. You go in there, you you definitely understand there, there's some there's some racial tensions between there, but I think it's few and far between compared to the alternative, which started in Minneapolis, which is to fund the police, let them storm the police stations, and, and let all hell break loose in your cities, because we're going to reimagine, like Corey Bush says, reimagine the police force. Here's more. Uh, you talk about political unrest. What about Pat Harrigan joined me today? He's a Republican uh, candidate for Congress in a very blue area. He has happened to be a Green Beret, and evidently he's making great progress in the area. And they talk about the fact that he's a gun manufacturer. The ads are running saying that basically he's responsible for school shootings. And next thing you know, his parents' house with his kids inside gets shot up. Here's Pat Harrigan, the Republican, on with us on Fox & Friends today. 
This is completely out of the blue, particularly for this neighborhood. And, and look, as a former Green Beret, I'm used to getting shot at. I'm okay with getting shot at. I'm not okay with my family getting shot at. It's another level. And when you take the totality of what's happened across this campaign with the lies and the, and the demonization of my character, it, it just, none of it adds up. Folks just don't have bullets passing through their windows at 11 o'clock at night while they're watching television, uh, while their kid, while their kid, me, yeah. is running for Congress, while my kids are sleeping at their house. Uh, the odds on that are, are just super long. Bhatia Unger Sargon, our guest from Newsweek, and you just talked about how the outrage on Paul Pelosi and that no one can – this is the worst thing that ever happened. It is bad. An 82-year-old gets hit with a hammer by a crazy nudist uh, who is an illegal alien, doesn't even belong here, living in a bus. Terrible. But what about this? We don't hear anything about it. There's no outrage from the media today. Nobody out there talking about political violence growing on both sides. They only talk about it when it's on their side. And I'll tell you something else. Nobody was talking about bail reform when it came to David DePape, the guy who hit uh, Paul Pelosi in that horrific attack with a hammer. Nobody was out there saying this man should be released without bail. He's being held without bail because he represents a, a threat to the community. Very good. But the same people who are out there, you know, there's silence on the left. These people go out there and say bail reform let out any person who did anything bad because they can't afford to pay bail let them back into the streets when they do exactly what david de did but when you come for a rich white member of democratic royalty suddenly the left goes silence on all of their criminal justice reform suddenly they love the police so i'll expand on what you said you cover the new york post i probably don't have to tell you was the mom of a of a, whose daughter was slain by her ex-husband who said Kiara Benenfield Kiara was somebody that got beat up by her husband in case you don't believe her, it's on tape. So they arrest the guy. They keep him 24 hours. She says, if he gets out, he's going to kill me. She's walking around with a bulletproof vest and three kids. He gets out. They don't tell her. He executes her execution style, kills her in front of the three kids. So the, she, the mom came out and said, listen, this is on Governor Hochul. You will not do bail reform. You won't listen to us. And by the way, I don't think that's the family of rich elitists. And it's once again the working class being left to their own devices. That's 100 percent true. When you poll Democrats, 82 percent of black Democrats say that they are very worried about crime. So why aren't the Democrats doing anything? Why don't they listen to them? Oh, because only 33 percent of white Democrats say they're very worried about crime because the rest of them are rich and they live in neighborhoods like the Pelosi's where they don't have to worry about it usually. And so this is not a concern for them. But it's, it gets worse than that, Brian, because they make it a taboo to discuss it. They call you racist if you talk about it when the truth is the opposite. It's racist not to talk about it when you think about who is being sentenced to live with it. Absolutely. And then when you think about the woman that was sadly raped at 530 in the morning yesterday in New York City, and I don't live in the city, but it's one of the nicest areas you can live. 530 in the morning, you can imagine anyone who's a nine to fiver who runs getting ready maybe for the marathon up at 530. She ends up getting knocked to the ground and choked and then raped uh, and then killed. So she ends up uh, she ends up a statistic and this guy, it turns out, has 12 prior arrests and was found in a Walmart buying Red Bull. So he was able to get away from the scene. Part of it is where I found out over, uh, last night, we're at least 6,000 police officers down from where we were when the city was oh, safe. No. We're down to 34,000. We had 40,000. It's absolutely horrible. You know, the Democratic Party has given up on the American dream. 
law and order, safety for children, a good education for everybody, a, a criminal justice system that doesn't discriminate against you and that offers safety to people, even if they're working class, even if they're black, even if they're poor. They don't believe in any of that anymore. But that's not that's not a, just an opportunity for Republicans. It is a challenge for Republicans to represent these people and give them a fair shot at the American dream. So we'll be talking about this on One Nation. We'll be doing that on Saturday night at 8 o'clock and repeat it again at 11. When we come back, how Jimmy Kimmel admits he lost half his audience. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's The Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Does ABC ever say to you, hey, could you not just attack this side and and uh, lay off a little bit because we're going to lose those people? There was at one time, maybe, I don't know, like right around the beginning of this whole like Trump thing where that was like kind of hinted at. But yeah. I just said, I said, listen, I get it. I mean, I, I don't disagree. I mean, you're right. I have lost half of the, my fan, maybe more than than that. I mean, when I, you know, 10 years ago, uh, among like Republicans, I was the most popular talk show host, you know, oh. I mean, you know, was, at least according to the research that they did. Well, you're doing a public service. You, Colbert, the Seth Myers, the, these are the guys. You're the guys who I don't make it, us feel I don't like think of we're it not that. alone. I wonder what you follow up with, but that is Jimmy Kimmel uh, proudly saying he lost 50 percent of his audience. Batia Unger Sargon is here, deputy opinion editor of Newsweek. Uh, so, Bati, I wanted to play that for you because late night TV used to matter so much. We used to play clips from their monologues every night. It used to be fun because he used to be an equal opportunity offender and something insightful. Whatever you want to say about John Stewart, he's entertaining and interesting. These guys aren't. They're just they're just pundits now. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I to me, um, the the that clip from Kimmel is so perfect because it encapsulates this thing that democratic politicians and entertainers and celebrities do, which is they act like it's so brave to treat 50% of their fellow Americans like cockroaches, right? They act like that is so brave. Like, you know, nobody will say the truth about these people. No one will say the truth about Trump, but we will. When the truth is the exact opposite, you can't say anything else in Hollywood. You can't say anything else in Democratic circles in D.C. If you even say that, you know, Trump voters are worthy of respect, that they are worthy of their votes, you know, you get clobbered. And so it, the truth is the exact opposite. It is so craven to follow the herd, but they speak about it as though this is the brave thing to do. I know it's it's nuts, and that's why Gutfeld's winning, and that's why they're getting about one eight. And people point out, well, he gets a lot on YouTube. All right, really? Are you doing it for YouTube? Then stay on YouTube. Right. Uh, Jimmy Fallon <laughs> had to apologize for normalizing the winner of the presidency, the 2016 winner, a one that got 74 million votes. He had to apologize, and he does never says anything somewhat magnanimous or 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 beneficial for Trump ever. And now he's got no ratings either. Colbert's dropping. Your, your thoughts on this, does it matter? Or are they, are they just marginalizing themselves? 
You know, I think that you're right. They're not funny anymore. There's no humor. There's just attacking the other side. And then, you know, this like laughter of relief from these elites who all agree. Um, but it's sort of tinged with the terror of their own irrelevancy. But the sad thing tinged to me the is, <laughs> I love that. The, thing, the sad thing is it's not just with these irrelevant comedians. It's also with the mainstream liberal press. I mean, what is the difference between the New York Times's treatment of Trump and Trump voters and Jimmy Kimmel's or Stephen Colbert's? There's no difference. Ninety one. One percent of New York Times readers now are Democrats. Ninety one percent. They had to work really hard to lose all of their Republican readers. But it's impossible to read The New York Times as a Republican and not feel insulted. Well, you know, you're an editorial editor, the editorial editor that hired Tom Cotton got fired. Yes. And and now he comes to stand up and speaking out. Here's what Greg Gutfeld said about something similar. He is our late night show host that starts at 11. Cut 39. But in this climate where the Dems and media collude to demonize millions of voters, it's no surprise that those on the right keep their mouths shut. And then come Tuesday, just like a certain Tuesday way back when in 2016, the media and the Dems won't know what hit them. Do you think they this time do know what's about to hit them? You know, the week after Glenn Youngkin won... There was, you know, CNN went into like massive soul searching mode and it lasted about, you know, 10 days where, because they really hate losing. And so they're in denial, 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 denial. And then when they lose big, there's this moment of soul searching, the same thing in 2016. And then, of course, it wears off and they go back to patting themselves on the back and saying everyone else is racist. Uh, Bati, we're going to pick up Newsweek. We're going to watch you. I'm going to read you. We're going to watch you on your channel and on your other channels, too. Uh, Bati Unger Sargon, the deputy editor of Newsweek. We appreciate you being with us. Uh, you also have columns rolling out regularly. Uh, also, uh, Bati, you're going to be watching One Nation this weekend, right? Of course. Right. Always, Brian. I never miss it. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> by the way, I'll be at Books A Million Saturday in Scranton, Pennsylvania at 1 o'clock. Hope to see everybody out there. Uh, you listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.